Welcome to the Premium Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription, and enjoy today's sermon. Happy Palm Sunday. We appreciate those on the platform this morning. And we do have Children's Church for ages 12 and under this morning. Thank you, those Children's Church workers. Would encourage you, amen, to uh, get involved. Hallelujah. God is doing good things. Let's open up to the book of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12, if you've got your Bible with you today. And today is the Sunday before the most important Sunday of the calendar year for us as believers. It's the beginning of what we call Holy Week. And the reason it's Holy Week is because starting today, this this week in Scripture that we are commemorating and remembering is uh, what some Bible scholars have uh, estimated that 40 to 50% of the New Testament's attention is on this week, the Holy Week. The time period between Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we're going to talk about today, and His resurrection, which happens one week later. This week of this time span in history is the most important focal part of the entire universe. It is the attention of the the New Testament. It is what the Old Testament saints looked forward to. And it is what we as faithful believers look back toward. Because this week in the Scripture, this Holy Week that we are commemorating, is the foundation for everything that is to come. It is the celebration of sins defeated. It is, the, it is the foundation of all that we do as a church. Without the Holy Week, without the Palm Sunday, without the death of Jesus on Good Friday, and without the resurrection, uh, we don't have anything to talk about. Uh, Paul says, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then of all men on the earth, we're the most pitiable. Uh, we are just wasting our time, but... If this week that we look at in the Scripture is true, oh, then we've got a lot of hope. And we've got a message for this broken world. John chapter 12 is where the Apostle John begins to turn his attention to this final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And uh, it's, it's it's a great day to think about when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now, before we read the Scripture, I want to share with you, uh, you know, about 300 years ago in the 1700s, the, um, the colonists and the people who had came, come here from Europe to, to America, that, you know, you know the story how they had uh, the desire to break free from, from the British and to declare independence and all those things. And, and along with that, with, with that miraculous start that they had, there was an opportunity that is pretty rare in human history. And that opportunity was, okay, we're independent from England. We fought this miraculous battle to win that independence. 
Now we have to start something fresh. What are we going to have here? And so, you know, there was the Constitutional Convention in the city of Philadelphia. The leaders of the 13 colonies came together to hash it out over a summer. And, uh, and they came up with a, a pretty good system that has lasted 300 years. A constitution which gives limited power to its leaders. So we look at, uh, you know, we look at the government and there's a whole lot to complain about, right? There's a whole lot of funky people there. And I'm not here to preach politics to you today. But what I want you to pay attention to is that wherever human beings have existed, there has also been some form of government. And there's been a lot of different kinds of government over the years. Uh, the, The most common type of government is a monarchy, where you have a king who rules. Sometimes you have a good king. Sometimes you have a bad king. Sometimes you have a dictator who wants to control everything. Uh, other time, you know, the, uh, the Romans came up with the system of, of elected democracy and a senate. They came up with that idea. Our founders kind of took that and turned it into what we have today. Uh, if we look across the world today, you have a hundred some odd countries, and therefore you have a hundred different kinds of governments. And so the question is, well, what kind of government would be best? If we had the opportunity to wipe the slate clean and start over, and we gave you the decision of what kind of government would you make to be able to rule uh, a, a country or a nation well, what, what, how would you do it? Well, uh, what most people would do is say, well, it would be best if I'm in charge. <laughs> and this is why monarchies have been the most common in history. You know what the problem is with monarchies, though? Is when you put all the power into the hands of one person or just a few people up at the top, the problem is human beings are flawed. There's no such thing as a perfect king. The other problem is that even if you had a good king, and there have, yeah, I was researching and trying to figure out if there was ever a good king, and there have been a few good kings. Uh, but the problem is, e- even if there's a good person who gains the power, their reign is temporary because human beings are temporary. Every one of you has an expiration date. And so even if we did give you all the power and all the authority, and even if you did uh, avoid corruption and you did things correctly, the problem is, is you're, you're not going to last forever and that power is going to then go to somebody else, Right? And so, this is the problem. So, in a perfect world, you know, a monarchy would work really well. As long as you have a person who is uh, morally pure, a person who is not consumed by power and lust and greed, a person who uh, treats the people correctly. Uh, But also, if you could do it in the best possible way, you would probably want to have a king who, uh, who lasts forever. The problem is, you don't have that person on this earth, do you? You don't have that capability. And so the second best thing that we can come up with is a form of representative democracy where power is limited, it's only in the hands of a few, it's only temporary, and this is about the best we can come up with on this planet. And even still, it's not that great. In our scripture, we see the beginning of a new kingdom. And in this kingdom... We have a king. Every kingdom must have a king. 
The problem with earthly kings and human kings, as I mentioned, is that they get corrupted, they get greedy, they get power hungry, and they, they expire. The kingdom that we are speaking about this morning is an eternal kingdom. And that means if we're going to have an eternal kingdom, we need an eternal king. One who would be worthy of ruling for all eternity. And the real, the, the real idea of the Palm Sunday celebration is this. Lord, this is an eternal kingdom. Therefore, we need an eternal king. So come and save us from this reckless world. On Palm Sunday, this is our opportunity to declare our dependence on the only king who is deserving of our allegiance. And that king is Jesus. Now, we often think of Jesus as a servant. He was a humble servant. We think of Jesus as a preacher and a teacher and a rabbi. We think of Jesus as, uh, as a great uh, orator and public speaker. We think of Jesus as a prayer warrior. But how often do you think about Jesus as king? Because that's going to be a key to your life with him. Let's read the scripture, John chapter 12, about how the city of Jerusalem welcomed him in on this Sunday before the death and resurrection. And uh, let's learn a few things this morning. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. It says, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna. The word Hosanna, by the way, it literally means save us. Save us. They cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16 His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. I'm praying, Lord, that Your people today would recognize You in Your rightful place as King of the eternal kingdom. And I'm praying this morning, God, that as we do that, as we surrender our hearts and our lives to you, God, that you would fill us with your grace and power. Help us, God, in this place. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. So glad that you're here today. Let's put our attention and our focus on the eternal king of the eternal kingdom. What does the Bible reveal to us about this king? First of all, something that you hope to see in other people, is humility. If you're going to give all the power in the universe to one person, he cannot be conceited, he cannot be arrogant, he cannot be filled with pride. We see that Jesus, who is the only one deserving of all the praise and the glory and the honor forever and ever, amen, that he is also a humble king. Look at verse 14. Jesus, when he had found a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, fear not, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Can you ever picture this in your mind? Have you ever seen a donkey? Donkeys are not impressive. 
they're stupid and stubborn. Now, if you're going to have a king riding into a city, now, especially in the day, you would want a grand stallion, some great, amazing horse. This is a, this is an, a beast that is majestic and is uh, decorated and is powerful and is smart. You can train a horse. And, and man, for, especially for a king, you want to have a kingly horse. But when Jesus came riding into town, they found donkey. People recognized what was happening that day. They recognized that this was a prophecy being fulfilled. As is quoted by the prophet, uh, that the king is coming to you sitting on a donkey's colt. It's not even the donkey, it's the donkey's colt. That means it's a young one. That means it's not even reached the age of maturity is probably not even that much higher off the ground. I bet Jesus was like walking along with him down the road. This is not an impressive creature. You would think if the king of all the universe is coming to town to take his rightful place, oh, that he would want some kind of impressive animal. Something that people would look at him and go, oh, like when when, uh, when they go to pick the, the king of Israel, and they say, oh, it's got to be this one, Eliab. He's the oldest brother. Man, look at him. He's tall, he's strong, he's handsome. He's got to be that one, right? No. Goes down the line, not that brother, not brother, until they get to David. And the Bible says, that one, the one that was out running with the sheep, it is the same with the Son of God that people would have noticed. He didn't come to town sitting on a great stallion, on a kingly horse. No, he comes riding on a donkey's colt. What can we learn from that this morning? You might expect this conquering king to ride in with dignity and some power and respect, a glorious battle horse. Instead, he's on a donkey. And it's not even his donkey. It's one that he had to borrow from somebody else. Luke 19, 29, when he drew near to Bethpage at, at Bethany, He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village and you will find there a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. It would be the equivalent of having uh, your your favorite sports team who has just won the, the, the Super Bowl and they're going to have their grand parade going down the, the city center. And uh, instead of having them on a, on a back of a limousine or, uh, or a, a big truck or something, no, they're all riding on little tricycles. Oh, wow, great and mighty warriors you are. This is why the Bible says that his disciples did not understand these things. They couldn't get it. They couldn't see what Jesus was trying to do. That... Their dreams and their ambitions for Jesus was that he would take control of the Jewish people, that he would exercise that authority, that he would drive out the Roman imperialists, and that he would once again cause the Jewish people to thrive on the earth. That was their dream that that they thought Jesus would do. But that's not what he did. He came in with humility, riding on a donkey's colt. What does this mean for us? When Jesus comes riding into your life, when He presents Himself and His abilities to you, can I tell you, Jesus 
knocks on the door of your heart. Jesus will never kick down the door, bam, I'm here to take control. No, Jesus, when he enters your life, he comes with humility. He enters with a spirit of, I'm not here to conquer with power. I'm here to serve, servant leadership. This is the, this is the king, this is the humble king. He, he comes gently, humbly. He only comes to the, where he is invited. And I want to tell you this morning, if the Lord is not in your life, it's not because uh, he, he doesn't want to be there. It's because he hasn't been invited. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. Now you have the choice, you have the decision whether to open that door by faith or whether to keep Jesus standing outside. The same way that when Jesus came riding down the street on this donkey's colt, that there was a choice to be made. Oh, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? I'm not going to... Or you can uh, recognize what God was doing that day as the people there did. They grabbed tree branches and palm branches. This was a way of showing their respect to a conquering king and receive him as such. Secondly, we see that this king is not only a humble king, but he is a savior king. Verse 13, they cried out to him, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. As I mentioned, the word Hosanna is literally an exclamation that means save us. Save us soon. We're lost. We're broken. We're hurting. And we need a Savior. Can I tell you, Jesus can't do anything for you until you cry out, Hosanna. Save me. I'm lost. I'm busted. I am broken. And I need you, Lord. And if you're not there, then He can't do anything for you. Jesus said, I came for the sick. A doctor can't help somebody who thinks they're well. But to those who know how broken and lost they are, oh, I want to tell you, He is the Savior. He is the one who can make a a place in your life and can redeem and rescue those who are broken and lost. But listen, you can't be saved until you recognize your need for a Savior. There's a a Christian band with the name that I like. It's called Thousand Foot Crutch. And that's a reaction to the people who say that God is just a crutch for weak people. Well, you guess what? You're all weak people. And the crutch that we need is beyond our own ability. We can't save ourselves. Our sin has consumed us. And if Jesus does not intervene, if He doesn't come riding along into your life, then you are guaranteed to stay in your broken condition. And so we need a thousand foot crutch. We need a Savior. We need a King, not only who is ruling in order to advance His kingdom, but He is a King who is interested in those who are loyal to Him. They were crying out that day. They thought they were crying out for a revolutionary. They thought that He was going to, uh, again, that He was going to drive out the Roman imperialists. But instead, the things Jesus would save them from would have an effect on their lives far more than just their generation. We're still here 2,000 years later because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Thirdly, Jesus, this king, on Palm Sunday, he is a victorious king. Now, I want to uh, share this with you because we don't see this as much in the gospel accounts. We don't see him as the victorious king. 
We see him being ignored by most of the world. We see him being mocked and crucified. We see that the Pharisees uh, rejected him and uh, sought the opportunity to, to curse him. It's more common to see him being ignored by the world. And can I tell you, that's still the case today. It is more common in this world that Jesus will be rejected. But I want to declare to you today that what happened on this Palm Sunday shows us that he is ultimately a victorious king. That not only has he uh, declared himself to be king, but uh, even though that victory is not yet complete, the story is not over yet. We see Jesus being mocked and challenged. We see him being flogged and crucified. And you say, well, how is it possible that that means victory? When we do see him having victory, he has true victory. Think of this. Think of the accounts that we read in the scripture. You remember when he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist? And he gets baptized in water and the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended in that place as in the form of a dove. And then everyone that was there heard a voice from heaven. And it said this, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. This is my be- in whom I am well pleased. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't notice that voice talking when you got baptized. Or when I got baptized. Right? What I'm saying is that people that were there that day, they're like, whoa, something just happened here. You see the account of the disciples in the boat, in the sea, and, uh, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. I never saw you walking on the water. I never saw me walking on the water. But Jesus comes to them, and, uh, and then He says, Peace, be still! And the storm which was raising all of a sudden just stops. And the disciples were freaked out. said, what kind of man is this? He must be more than just a, a rabbi who teaches good things. We have His resurrection from the dead. Uh, now, we know that Jesus had performed resurrections, that He called people back to life after death, but that was a, a temporary solution. One scholar calls that a resuscitation instead of a resurrection. And that's more accurate, I think, because uh, Jesus resuscitates people from death, but they eventually would die again, correct? The resurrection of Jesus is unique because... He was resurrected to life eternal, everlasting. A once and for all resurrection. That the same body that rose from the tomb 2,000 years ago is the same body which now Jesus has today. A body that is designed to last forever. This shows us that He is a victorious King. And let me tell you, the Bible predicts that there are still victories yet to be completed. Those previous victories were just a down payment. You ever made a down payment? The down payment is just the beginning. When you bought your house, you made a down payment on the mortgage. But see, you're looking forward to the day that it actually belongs to you. Jesus made the down payment already, but that victory is still yet to be completed. This shows that He is a victorious King. Now I want to close by looking at the crowd that day and their response to this king. The king who is humble. The king who is a savior. And the king who is victorious. Let's look at how they responded to him. Because this is so interesting to me. It's one of the few places 
in the Scripture where Jesus is treated with the kind of respect and authority that He deserves. One of the few places. By people on the earth. There was an account where Jesus goes up to the top of the mountain and His, his, uh, his appearance was transformed. And uh, He's only there with, uh, with His disciples. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah come down to talk to Jesus. Okay, so they were treating Him the way that He was supposed to be treated, right? But this is, when it comes to how the earth is treating Jesus, doesn't happen very much in His earthly life. But this moment, this day of Palm Sunday, as He enters Jerusalem, He gets a little glimpse, a little preview of being treated truly as the eternal King that we know that He is. The Bible says, verse 13, that they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want to tell you, there are some things in this life that, unfortunately, that our culture treats with great honor and respect, but it's not Jesus. There are things that we, oh, we dare not tread upon about, uh, we're, we're not going to treat these things lightly. We're, we're, you know, you, you got to be careful, man. You gotta, uh, but Jesus, oh, no big deal. Yeah, we know about that story. Yeah, it's 2000. Yeah, church, okay, no big deal. I want to tell you, he is the king. Maybe you saw the last, uh, was a few months back when, when Queen Elizabeth died. And they, they said this was one of the biggest uh, ev- te- television events of all of history. Something like, Two billion people watched her funeral procession on television. And there was a lot of, man, a lot of people lining the streets of London. There was flowers. There was marching bands. There were people with signs. And they were showing their respect and admiration for a queen who ruled her country well. She had a good, you know, she had a good um, um, respect from her country. uh, And... And, and so, yeah, they wanted to treat her with dignity and honor, correct? The problem is, she expired. And even Queen Elizabeth would tell you, I'm not the greatest uh, monarch in the world. She would tell you that Jesus deserves even more glory and honor than that. What these people understood that day, they connected what was happening in front of their eyes with the ancient scripture from the prophets, and they said, Oh, we got to do something. We got to praise. We have to show him the dignity and honor that is deserving of the king of all the universe. The palm branch has long been considered a symbol of victory. The people in the ancient world would immediately recognize that. So it's, it's kind of like when, when they're. They would hear that a, a, a general would have been victorious in battle, and he's coming back with his victorious troops. That all the people of the city would gather and they would wave the palm branches as a sign of their respect and their honor and the glory that had been given to this great victorious general. It would be like, you know, when, when, they, when the football team wins the Super Bowl. And what do they say every time? They say, Ah, I'm going to Disney World! And there's these massive victory events in their cities. In ancient days, the Jews would welcome home their champions this way, by waving the branches of palm trees as they paraded back into the streets. So, the people that were there that day were making a statement. Jesus of Nazareth 
We are recognizing you as more than just a carpenter, more than just a good preacher or a good teacher. We recognize you as the king of our lives, the king of this city, the king of this nation, the king of this world, the king of all the universe. Say, what's my part in this? Where do you fit in this story? Well, guess what? We are called to live lives of surrender and worship of the King. We are called then, if you are saved, if you are right with God, then there ought to be something inside of you that recognizes that Jesus is more than just the founder of a religious institution, but that He is deserving of your honor, of your respect. He is worthy of us giving dignity to Him. This is why we worship Him. We know that our our feeble efforts on this earth fall far short of what He deserves. But that does not negate our responsibility. You have the responsibility to worship. And can I tell you, I can't worship on your behalf. Every single one of you, you've got to make up your own mind that He is my King and He is worthy of my praise. So when the music plays, it doesn't matter how good or bad we sound up here. Listen, the, the, the praise team up on the stage, we exist for one reason. To help you worship. This is not a performance. You don't come here to watch us put on a, a performance, because if you did, uh, you, we'd be failing pretty bad. The purpose of having s- singers and musicians up on the stage, the only purpose is to give a platform for the church to tell Jesus... Who He is! That's why you don't sit down and fold your arms and wait for that part to be over. Can't we just get through this? No! This is not a performance. This is not a concert. You didn't pay a ticket to come up here and watch me strum on a guitar. No, this is you. Your opportunity, to, like they did, to wave your hands in the air. Say, Jesus, whatever's going on in my life, You're my King, and I recognize You. As such, I'm here to worship you and you alone. And Jesus said, if you stop these people, the rocks will cry out. Because why? He is deserving of worship. Who else is, by the way? Who else is deserving of your worship? Any politician? Any sports figure? Who is worthy of your worship? Only one. What else did these people do? Matthew 21, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says that they brought the donkey and the colt, they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. You know what they were saying? This king is so great that he deserves more than walking across just the dirt road. They started taking their clothes laying them down. Jesus, this is better for you. This is what you deserve. All the people begin laying in the mud. You know the roads were not paved, right? You know that by doing that, they're probably ruining their clothes forever. But they said it is better for our king to be rolling on top of the clothes than to be rolling through the mud. They gave. Let me ask you, what is this king worthy what is he worth to you? I read a, an email this morning that, uh, that touched me profoundly. I want to share it with you. This is uh, from a leader of a 
international ministry, and he says, a number of years ago, I was traveling with some missionaries to northern China to meet Christians from North Korea who had escaped across the Tumen River. We stopped at a safe house where a small group of North Korean Christians were hiding. During our time of prayer and fellowship, one of my companions quietly asked me, before coming on the trip, someone gave me a cross necklace and asked me to pray about who I should give it to. Should I give it to this group of courageous Christians? Are you tracking so far? These are Christians from North Korea who had escaped across the border. As he removed the cross necklace from his pocket and showed it to me, I replied, No way! It is too dangerous for these people to have this in their possession. One of the North Korean Christians, a young man in his late teens or early 20s, was watching us intently. He didn't speak any English, but he seemed to know exactly what we were talking about. He came and expressed, I would like that cross. I said to him, no, it is too dangerous for you to wear this cross. I have known more than one Christian in North Korea who had gone to prison and been tortured simply for wearing a cross. However, this young man insisted. And after going back and forth, he finally said this through the interpreter, I know the risks, and I am willing to wear the cross anyway. I did not want to put this young man at risk, but I agreed to give him the cross necklace. He immediately put it on, and a smile came on his face. A few weeks later, we visited that same safe house again. It had been raided by the Chinese Communist Police. The Christians, including this young man, had not been heard from since. I can't help but wonder what wearing that cross cost him. You know, when you put on the cross, there is also a cost. What are you willing to pay? We here in the West are so privileged, so comfortable. We have a lot to be thankful for. But you know, many of the things that we have can also turn our heart away from Jesus. Can also turn our hearts away from the kingdom. The reason I'm mentioning this is because when the people saw the king coming down the road, they didn't care about how much their clothing was worth. Uh, Whatever the cost is, it's not enough to give to our king. When we come to Christ, oftentimes we're counting our nickels and dimes and wondering, how much is this going to really cost me, pastor? That's the wrong way to approach a king, isn't it? Because the king has authority over all of our lives. They were willing to give. What better day, what better way for you to honor the conquering king? I want to close with one last thought. These people bowed to Christ before his death and resurrection. Having now the gift of perspective, we can look back 2,000 years and we can see what he was about to do. The reality this morning is that everyone will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Everyone. Either you make a choice today to recognize Him as King of all kings and Lord of all lords, and you bow your knee to Him today, and then the Bible says that He, as a humble and a gentle King, He rides into your life to rule with grace and mercy. That's one option. The other option, and if we do that, then we'll still bow to him. But instead, he, we will be forced to bow to him. Philippians 2.9, listen to this. 
God has also exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every knee. How many knees? Every knee should bow. Those in heaven and those on earth, those under the earth. That means even the devil himself will one day bow the knee to the king of kings that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How does that happen? How does God cause his enemies to bow the knee to him? Well, you can get a little sneak preview in Revelation chapter 6 where it says that I beheld a white horse. So Jesus is coming on a horse. The first time he came humbly, lowly, gentle, without kicking down the door. The second time is going to be quite different. Jesus will come back as a conquering king, as a powerful king, riding on a white horse, the Bible says. And on it he has a bow, and a crown is given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So on that day, that's the day, every knee will bow. So you have a choice. Your choice is not whether or not to bow your knee. The choice is when. Either we surrender ourselves willingly, recognizing our, 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 our sinfulness and our brokenness and say, Lord, I need a savior. Please come and rescue me and he will be a good king to you. He will lead you in righteousness. Or you can say, I'd rather do things my own way. I don't recognize Jesus as my king. One day, he will conquer. And then you'll still bow your knee. But it will be a knee of judgment. I want to challenge you this morning. We have the opportunity. For the last 2,000 years, this has been a time, an epoch of grace, where God has given the world time to repent. Today, you're sitting here right now. You have time to receive Jesus as your king, willfully surrendering to him, recognizing him as who he is, the king of all kings. You still have that opportunity today. We as believers, if you're saved here this morning, then, you know, when you bow your knee to Christ, that's not the end of your service to the Lord. That's the beginning. When you bow your knee to Christ, then you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how can I be fruitful and effective in this kingdom? What can I do? to be part of his body? How can I express the will of my king to his kingdom and to the world? So we have an opportunity today to once again declare our dependence upon Jesus. The one who rode into Jerusalem, he humbly, he didn't come kicking down the door. He came humbly and he said, would you receive me? Oh, he said to Jerusalem, Oh, how I wish I could gather you together the way that a mother hen gathers her chicks to protect you and watch over you. But the problem with Jerusalem is that five days later, they were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Ultimately, Jesus said, you are either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground here. You are either with him Or you are an enemy. And my question this morning, can we declare our dependence? Can we have our own Palm Sunday today where we bow our knees, recognizing Jesus as the king of all the universe? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We're going to close our eyes.
as we bring this service to a close. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.